if you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, that's wait a second, that's not say. a TV show. It's but not it a, is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams, other than a Viewmaster. You download it, and and then you watch it, hundred percent free. There's no charge. Yeah. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're gonna love. Trexpert's Briefing Room, a Trexpert's new series. Trexpert's Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the inglorious Trexperts. And we're back. We're back, baby. <laughs> and we, we got some wagering to do. We got some gambling to do. We're not gambling for trifles like Quatloos this time. No, only two real true thing. gamesters, only true <laughs> Trexperts like us would have a show devoted. We're going to devote the next hour to Shauna, the drill thrall. Angelique yes. Pettyjohn. Don't, 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 you know, you, you can thank us later. I'm sorry, Sean. I didn't lie. I did what was necessary. Someday I hope you'll understand. I understand. A little. You will leave us now? To go back to the lights in the sky? Yes. I would like to go to those lights with you. Take me. 
I can't. Then teach me how, and I will follow you. There's so much you must learn here first. The providers will teach you. Learn it, Shana. All your people must learn before you can reach for the stars. I'm so happy about this show because I, you know, we've said this in the past. We really are, um, you know, about mining all the aspects of the Star Trek universe. And um, Angelique Pettyjohn, I think, is a very iconic part of Star Trek lore. You know, of course, she played Shauna the Drill Thrall. And anybody uh, remembers her in that sort of silver bikini and go-go boots uh, as she, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, fought uh, James Kirk uh, and, and then ultimately... At the worst, she's remembered as being a stereotype. You know, the, the stereotype uh, space girl that Captain Kirk ho- hooks up with, which is the farthest from the truth. It's, it's, uh, it's really, um, she, her story... Uh, is a really touching and uh, sort of heartrending tale of someone who, uh, you know, strove to make it in Hollywood and made it, and then it sort of frittered away. Yeah, it, look, it, it's so, it's so, it's so hard because you, you know you'll you'll hear from our guest. You know, this is a woman who didn't get the love of her parents, and she's just so she's looking for love in all the wrong places, and you know, people think you know, in Hollywood that they will get the whole world to love them. Right. Uh, you know, and it's, it's not that simple because people unfortunately are very disposable. And uh, one thing she has attained through being on Star Trek is she has achieved that love that she sought yeah. and immortality. Exactly. Because, you know, we will not forget you, Sean of the Drill Thrall. Yeah. Um, and, and we, 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 we're, we're really happy because, uh, we're going to bring on our guest, John L. Flynn. John L. Flynn wrote this wonderful new book. It's called The Sci-Fi Siren. And uh, in this book, it's, it's Who Dared Love Elvis and Other Stars. It's the untold true story of Elvis Presley and Angelique Pettyjohn. Obviously, that's the way they sell it, but it's a picture of Angelique in the Shaun of the Drill Thrall outfit on the cover. John, of course, is a PhD, uh, Hugo nominee, a member of the Science Fiction Writers of America and the Misery Writers uh, of America. He's a retired dean and psychologist. He's written over 20 books, most notably the Kate Dawson thrillers, 10 of his books, which have been made into audiobooks. But uh, John is also very well known for some of his great uh, entertainment journalism. He wrote for me many years ago on, at Sci-Fi Universe. He's written for a lot of other magazines as well. Um, but this was a personal and passion project for John, 20 years in the making. It's a, a, a comprehensive biography of um, Angelique Pettyjohn, and we're going to learn things we never dared hope we would learn or know about this very talented actress. So without any further ado, let's bring on Dr. John L. Flynn. So here we are with uh, John L. Flynn. John, of course, again, is the writer of uh, The Sci-Fi Siren, Who Dared Love Elvis and Other Stars, the untold true story of Elvis Presley and Angelique Pettyjohn. But it's also <laughs> the untold true story of a girl named Raina. And no, uh, Shana. Uh, did I say Raina? Oh, you, you know what? Raina. I got to tell you, I was listening. I was listening to our to episode our on Requiem for Methuselah this morning in the car. So I had Raina this on my mind, you. but now, but now women I'm going to be talking things. about Shauna because <laughs> I shall always remember you, James Kirk. So, Some okay. Points in life so, in space. So, John, um, I, I want to ask you first. If we're going to put uh, Angelique Pettyjohn's life in, in a nutshell, 
is it a story of, would you consider this story one of tragedy or one of triumph? Because she overcame so much negativity and so many horrible things that happened in her life. And, and uh, it's really a remarkable story. At the same time, it's so many terrible things happened in her life. And I, I, I wonder, so how would you characterize it? And then, of course, the inevitable question of, you know, why write this book? And, and that leads us into how you met her, which is just a fascinating story. So, so tell us, John, t- you know, um, just, you know, it's hard to sum up someone's life in, in a word, but. You know, um, it is a tragedy, unfortunately. Uh, there was so much talent there in, in this wonderful lady. And of course, I had the chance of getting to know her on a really personal level. But, you know, um, it's also the story of Hollywood. Uh, All of those people who want to break in to the industry, they go through a lot of heartaches, a lot of tragedy in their lives. And how many make it out there? I mean, look at yourself. You know, you've made it, but how many people like you have not? And so, you know, this is Angelique's story. She kept running into one door after the other. And then when she was finally able to get through the door, they wanted her to put her on a casting couch. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of story. But, you know, the, the reason why I wrote it is um, Angelique was dying. She had maybe a week or two left. And she, uh, it was our last conversation. And she said, you know, um, you, you've been taking notes. We've been talking about this book. Um, I really do want you to write it. And um, don't, don't spare the readership. Just tell the story, warts and all, is basically what she said. And of course, I, I did love this woman. Um, there was an 11-year age difference, so we we're never going to be husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend, but there, there was a love that developed between us. And I just really felt that other people should know about how special she was. And mm-hmm. so she, you know, passed away after we had that conversation. And unfortunately, she passed away in 1992. Um, this is, you know, 20 plus years later that I'm finally getting around to finishing it up. And that's, you know, in between other books that I've written in, in the meantime. Uh, but uh, uh, better late than never. Yeah, I didn't realize how young she was when she passed away. Yes, I know. Compounds the tragedy of it all. Exactly. And I always say to uh, her son, I say, you know, your mom would have been this, however year, whatever year it is, she would be this age. And then we would reflect back on how she would view things so much so that have changed in the meantime. I mean, uh, Las Vegas isn't the Las Vegas that she knew. Las Vegas today is like Disneyland, you know, uh, she knew a much different kind of uh, Las Vegas. I know. And not not to give away the end of the story, but I, I just found it so sad in those later days when she's working in the gift shop, you know, in Vegas, you know, selling, you know, trinkets and stuff after she'd like, you know, L.A. was her town. I mean, she was like the queen of Vegas. And, and it was just it's it, it's just really it's it's really sad um but i want to ask it's, you america if you don't mind my saying it's sad but think about it she would not have been able to have any other kind of job i mean maybe a greeter at walmart or something like that but this this um you know where she went to work it was like a gimme kind of job and uh, she she did it she loved people and you know that's the way things happened well look that, that that's a great place for us to start and i want to go back 
to the be- beginning of her career. But first, I, I, you talk about she loved people. And that is sort of kind of the beginning of your relationship with her when you met at a Star Trek convention. So um, tell us how it is you came to know Angelique, because it's such a wonderful story in that you not only befriended her when she needed a friend, but then you were there for her for decades. And, and, and tell us you know, a little bit about that evolution. Sure. You know, like, like you, uh, Mark, I've been a Star Trek fan my whole life. And I went um, uh, to my first convention was the very first Star Trek convention. And so about 10 years later, I'd been going on a regular basis. And uh, she happened to be at one of the uh, uh, creation conventions. I think it was Philadelphia. I don't quite remember. But and uh, I thought, hey, this is cool. I always loved her, you know, when I saw her on Star Trek. And, you know, that uh, silver bikini and the go-go boots. I mean, it, it, it just sold, sold it to me. So I went looking for her kind of at the convention. And there she was uh, sort of floundering because she had never been to anything like this before. And, uh, you know, I just walked up and I said, you know, I, I've been a dealer and I've gone to these things for many years. And I said, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll help you. And she says, well, who are you? And introduced myself to her. And, uh, you know, we got her table set up. She got changed for, you know, uh, money with uh, her customers. And, uh, uh, and I said, you know, I'll be here after, at the end of the show and I'll also help you if you need things in between, you know, like a coffee or something to uh, eat. And uh, that's really what happened. And uh, I was very hesitant to go up to her. I, you know, I'm not one of those guys, you know, uh, I'm like you, perhaps. <laughs> I'm not one of those guys that just walks up to uh, beautiful women and starts talking to them. Uh, that's not part of my MO. And uh, I sort of stumbled through my introduction with her. Uh, but, you know, we were able to exchange names and she found out that I was a regular con goer and, you know, this was maybe an area that I could help her with. And, uh, you know, she didn't even have most of the right things pulled out. I mean, she had a picture here, which I think would have sold uh, hundreds of copies. And then a picture over here where she had hundreds of copies that no one was going to want. So, you know, um, we got her set up and uh it was just one of those two-day things saturday sunday and uh so you know that was more or less it when it ended uh i said can i help you carry your things or move your things to your room and she said sure but my room isn't here at the hotel she didn't even understand that you know uh, guests should get um, you know a room close by because it's a lot of work that's involved in this whole thing. And uh, uh, fortunately, I, I was driving a van back in those days, and uh, I guess the equivalent to an SUV today. And we just packed her up, and I took her to a hotel that was miles away. And that was one of the other things that I you know kind of needed to explain to her. And uh, you know, after that first, um, you know, convention, and I wasn't planning on coming back on Sunday. I came back on Sunday just to sort of help her out once again. And we were working much better. We had our signals all uh, set up. So we're working much better on Sunday than we were on, on Saturday. But, you know, she was um, extraordinary um, for her being fumbling through this with me. Um, she did an incredible job. All I kept hearing from 
the fans was, wow, can you imagine they got her for this convention? And I think uh, there had been some other, uh, I think the doctor may have been there and, and Sula may have been there, but she was really the, people, the person that people wanted to see. And then when she put on um, a dancing demonstration with the music from that Star Trek episode, the Gamesters of Triskelion, people just went wild. And she had her moves worked out. The choreography was right on. And uh, uh, the people who came that day, that weekend, got their money's worth from her. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because you said she was kind of auditioning for Gary and Adam in a sense, you know, to see if, you know, they would want to actually pay her as to be a guest and, you know, if she would be a draw for them. And uh, that, I guess, you know, she kind of passed the test because then she did a bunch of conventions, which you helped her with. And she did a whole dance routine and choreographed it. And um, and but the thing that's amazing was that she would sit at her booth uh, in the the costume in a replica of the the costume. I can't imagine any other actor in the history of Star Trek who would actually sit at their booth in the costume. And I, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, and John, this is why I have to hand it to you to go. I was, I remember being at the convention in 1982. It was the first time I saw the con trailer. And I remember I was with a friend, still a good friend in the dealer's room. And I saw, and I said, oh my God, that's the drill thrall, Shauna. Yeah. And and and, yeah. and 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 it's like she's and she was in the costume, and and I remember you know look I was much younger then, mm-hmm. and and I was like re- reluctant to even go. She had the Playboy centerfolds of herself up, and it was kind of a little like, you know, eh, you know. So it was like, and <laughs> yeah. and and she was you know it's like so, but I I like remember it like it was yeah, and I was so um uh, amazed that she she not only was there but that she was on the floor and she was you know but she wasn't like some minor guest star you know she was sort of like an iconic part of 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 star trek lore and um and 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 then she became a staple of those conventions and you continued to work with her and uh, she continued to do these these elaborate dance numbers on stage for the fans uh, you know it was just amazing uh to me that uh... Uh, she had never been to one of those before. And, I, I, you know, I, if, if I had been her buddy back in L.A., I would have said, you know, you need to get to one of these Star Trek things. But uh, right. she, you know, she didn't do that. Uh, she did have a friend whose mother was uh, intricate, uh, integral to the Texas Star Trek uh, conventions uh, and did recommend uh, that she try one of these out. And Gary and Adam, you know, these are great guys. I, I love these guys. I've known them for years. And God bless them for giving her like a tryout like that. Yeah. Because uh, can you imagine how many other guests now we've gotten because they were bright enough to have um, Petty John there? I mean, you know, Angelique is no longer with us. But think about all of these other people. You mentioned Susan Oliver earlier. Uh and who, who would have guessed that they would get Susan Oliver for one of the conventions? Well, it's so fascinating to he- when you hear like, you know, uh, Susan Oliver went to one or two conventions, mm-hmm. but, you know, Eleanor Donahue, Joan Collins, you know, went oh, to it. So yeah. but when you hear them reflect on, they can't believe it. You know, this small <laughs> guest star and, you know, somebody like Eleanor Donahue, who was a much bigger show. Which he was much more famous for at the time, you know. Obviously, Joan Joan Collins, 
much bigger in Dynasty than anything. Mm-hmm. And yet the obsession with her from Star Trek and, and they're all amazing. What was what did Angelique Page on make of all this when she first was exposed to the crazy world of Star Trek? <laughs> well, you know, she uh, she did love you, uh, love you, love us. Uh, Star Trek fans, and I like to think she loved me personally. That's just—I'm <laughs> I, sure she did. She couldn't resist you. I was too night, young. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Um, when she had to undergo some surgery, this is from later in her story. Sorry to jump slightly ahead. Yeah, no, no, it's she okay. was so afraid that the love she had gotten from the fans would evaporate. Because uh, she was going to have the uh, double mastectomy done. And that was literally going to uh, rip away the image that we had all built in our heads of this beautiful, shapely woman. And uh, um, she didn't want to get the double mastectomy. I remember her uh, hiding it from me and most of her friends because she was afraid we would no longer love her. And, um, you know, she had the surgery and um, the fans knew when it was happening and they sent uh, letters and pictures. And, oh, my God, it was such an outpouring of love for this woman. And um, uh, I saw her after the surgery. So I actually wasn't there the day the surgery was done, but saw her afterwards. And she took me into her uh, room and she says, And all over the walls of this hospital room were these pictures and postcards and sketches. And, oh, it was unbelievable what was there. She had put everything up. And uh, she says, can can you believe this? And uh, and I said, they love you. And and she says, (laughs) she was just, you know, I I think one of the things that um, she was looking for all throughout her life was she was looking for love because that was something that was denied her as, as a youngster. And then of course, uh, growing into the industry and, and whatever. And to see this outpouring of love, she couldn't help but tear up every time she started talking about it. And um, I think that's how she felt perhaps that first night. You know, I took her to the hotel and we got her into her hotel room and all, all of her stuff in there. And I, and I said, well, I'm going to go. And I was really, really hungry at that point. So, and I also needed to, you know, have my own time. And, uh, um, you know, she, she, she's, I'm sure she spent that night thinking about all of those wonderful people that kept coming up to her and say, we love you. We were, you know, we love the work you did on Star Trek. And, oh yeah, I saw you also in Get Smart or the girl from Uncle and, you know, all Batman. Batman too, exactly. And oh boy, she looked great in Batman, you know. And so it's something that I guess she just didn't understand. And then years later, when she had to undergo the mastectomy, um, she didn't, she thought she would lose everybody, and really she didn't. There was such an outpouring of love for her. Well, Darren will tell you that I'm the cynic and I'm tend to be <laughs> sarcastic about this stuff. But, you know, it is they call it a start the Star Trek family for a reason. Yeah. You know, it there really is a, a family. And, you know, like a lot of us have good friends and family, you know, so but there are a lot of people that don't have that support system. And Star Trek has become that for them. They find such camaraderie and, and like minded people in the Star Trek 
world. And it's not just the fans, but the actors themselves. You know, a lot of these people are able to make a living and, and have a career and support themselves because of this ecosystem that's sprung up around Star Trek, not just the residuals, because certainly the original series and the residuals are, are well, a long uh, thing of the past, but uh, the conventions and uh, the merchandising and the fans. And well, it's really remarkable. Like like most of the the even the regular actors on Star Trek would tell you, um, their point of view was that this was basically just a job at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't imagine the response <laughs> that they would get when they would go to these conventions and see these throngs of fans just uh, just gushing love uh, uh, toward them. And they found it so unbelievable that something that they considered uh, you know, it's the old Shatner joke, uh, I, a lark, something I did for fun for three years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something that they never would even conceive that this would happen. And they for years, they kept wondering if it was real because it was so out of their, uh, you know, sense of perception. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I believe that this was probably the very first show, if you want, or um I'm not even sure if show is the best word, but something that hit the fans in such a way. I, I, I think that we created, uh, you know, this phenomena. That's actually a better word. Mm-hmm. And other shows now have taken advantage of the phenomena that we created. And right. so it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it includes the fans. It includes the people behind the scenes. It includes the actors and actresses. I mean, everything you mean and, you weren't uh, going to gomer pile conventions i i sure I, if there were any i missed them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it 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 really is remarkable when you look at um how uh fan fiction and all this stuff you know sort of had its genesis or you know became popularized through star trek it, it's 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 really remarkable and i don't think people understand even now the impact that the original show had and and the impact of the original fandom which was absolutely Mm -hmm. grassroots fed i mean it was it was watered from on top you know it was watered (laughs) from the great bird but um it certainly uh you know grew like wildfire uh throughout the early 70s and uh into the 80s and certainly after you know uh the movie started uh it exploded Mm -hmm. um and it's something that I think other shows have tried to imitate and they try to set up this fandom that may or may not be there, mm-hmm. but Star Trek, it was there and it fueled the fire for that. Even something as simple as the Star Trek well committee, which yeah. there yeah. were all these local pockets of Star Trek fandom mm-hmm. and it made it a national or an international thing by connecting people, you know, before there's the internet, before there's, most kids even had phones, they were connected, um, you know, phones in their rooms, you know, they, you know, yeah. so they would, they would, they would be connected through uh, the well committee, you know, the fanzines and the fan clubs. And suddenly you realize, oh my God, it's not just like 10 or 20, the hundreds, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people who are just as obsessed with this nonsense as I am. <laughs> thousands of people, all human like me. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I want to ask you, you, yeah. you talked about this is a woman looking for love in all the wrong places. So let, let's talk about how her career got started and then the road to Star Trek, the road to Triskelion. Well, you know, um, I, I, of course, I didn't know her in the beginning, but uh, 
she was she was born in 1943 on the same day that my mother was born 10 years earlier so uh, march 11th that's my mother's birthday as well and i introduced the two of them at one point and they enjoyed the the conversation um but so she was born in uh, uh, 1943. Uh, we were in the middle of uh, World War II. Uh, her dad was away. He was fighting the war. And uh, she had kind of a very stern mother who didn't give her much love. And when her father came back after the war was over, he had been um, really exposed in the worst way to the worst things ever imaginable. An early version of post-traumatic syndrome is, is what he went through. And he could not muster any enthusiasm for his Brenner daughter uh, or for his wife. And uh, um, they broke up very quickly. And here was uh, Angelique with her very stern mother. Again, not mother didn't, mother came uh, originally from Germany, did not have any degree of emotions for her daughter. And uh, suddenly they're out on their own trying to, you know, put uh, their lives together. And her mother meets a man, they get married, but the man doesn't care anything for Angelique. And so she's in a family where she is all alone, looking looking for love, if you will. Now, she uh, said from a very young age that she wanted to be a movie star. And uh, by the way, she was born uh, uh, Dorothy Lee Perrins. That's her original name. And um, so this little girl running around, buck teeth and all, running around telling everybody, I'm going to be a star one day. Now, you know, you think this is um, a Hollywood story, but it is. It's it's kind of a rags to riches thing. Because, you know, how did this little buck tooth little girl ever become, well, who we know as Angelique Pettyjohn? And so, you know, she did the uh, theater in high school and, uh, um she took dance lessons and she wanted to go on to the their equivalent of the junior college at the time and learn more about theater arts. But she also needed money to do that. And so she thought she would trade her, her dancing skills for actual money that would pay for her college. And where's the best place to make money as a dancer? Well, back in those days, it was this little community out in the desert called Las Vegas. Because again, there wasn't much out there at the time, maybe a, a couple of hotels. And she went to Vegas. She hadn't even turned 18 yet. And she met a couple of girls on the bus to Vegas and they decided they were going to share. And she landed a job um, doing basically topless dancing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, as I write in the book about her and she said to me, she never had any trouble, uh, any hangups about showing her body. And uh, so she starts doing topless dancing and that evolved into her working as a show. Yeah, but the showgirls all were that at the time. I mean, that was typical yes. of any big uh, Vegas show. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, what, what you, uh, the way we perceive it now. I mean, it, it, that was it wasn't Vegas. an illicit thing. It was it was the mainstream in Vegas. It was mainstream in Vegas. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's funny, when she first got to town, she thought that she would go to the strip clubs and offer to do stripping at the strip clubs. Um, but there was actually a step above that, that a uh, choreographer, her name was um, Marlissa uh, Pons, 
saw, saw Angelique doing the stripping in the strip clubs. And she says, look, I, I can get you better work. You know, she's still going to be showing her, uh, her body off, but you know, it isn't going to be to a group of uh, men who are feeding her dollars, you know, basically. And so she actually went uh, to work doing Cleopatra's uh, Nymphs of the Sea. It was a special show. It was done for one of the hotels out there. Uh, I think it was the Tropicana or one of the other ones. And she actually started getting a salary doing that. So she'd do that at night. And then during the day, they'd have to take dance lessons and Marlissa Pons wanted her to learn exotic, um, you know, belly dancing. And so was one of the first things that she learned. And uh, she made basically a career, good career move there because she was always working. Uh, even if Hollywood didn't have something for her, she could always go back and, and do dancing or stripping or something like that in Vegas. Right. Now, the thing of it was this very famous uh, singer came to town by the name of, oh, what was his name again? Elvis Presley. Oh, and he I started, yeah, I'm sure you've heard of that name before. He, he, uh, he and his buds were uh, going to be working in a couple of weeks in Hawaii, doing Blue Hawaii. And so they wanted to blow off some steam and they started inviting some of the showgirls to their all night parties. And uh, Angelique and a couple of her girlfriends got invited and the minute she walked in, and think about it, actually, Petty Chum was a knockout. Uh, I mean, you know, even at 18, and she had just turned 18, she was a knockout. She walked in, and Elvis Presley took one look at her, and that was it. Their fate. You could uh, fate. say he was all shook up. He was, <laughs> he was all shook up, yes. Uh, and uh, they spent the entire night together. And... Uh, he was uh, singing to her while playing the piano, talking with other people, and uh, he walked her back to her hotel room. He actually asked permission to walk her back to her hotel room. Uh, she and the girls had gotten these secondary rooms, you know, behind the, the casinos and whatever, and said, uh, you know, thanks. I hope we, you know, get together again. And, and all she had in, in her mind was, I want this guy, you know, uh, and uh, they spent the night together. And um, as a result, uh, she got pregnant from this. But, you know, this was uh, sort of her, um, her first um, discovery that there was something missing in her life. She had tried to substitute alcohol for it. She took up smoking. And eventually in life, she also did uh, drugs uh, as well. But nothing really filled this empty hole. But when she met this man, Elvis Presley, um, that was it. He was he was the guy that did it for her. And uh, she didn't know that, you know, it was just going to be a couple of night thing. But, um, you know, there this guy really taught her that there was um, that love was the thing that was really missing in her life. And so, um, you know, she did get pregnant. Uh, she went to uh, the manager. Um, uh, the Colonel, Colonel Parker. Yeah, Colonel yeah. Parker. And uh, he wanted her to have a, an abortion. But, you know, Angelique was raised in, you know, a Lutheran household and there was no abortions in, in that faith. And uh, so she did agree that she would have the child uh, and then give it up for adoption. And uh, uh, that's, in fact, what happened. And we can go back to that part of the story. But 
then throughout the rest of her career, I noticed uh, that, you know, she kept going for these older men. And uh, these men were established men, they had jobs, they had uh, um, practically everything that she wanted, they had homes of their own. And so she married four different men, and each one of those men were older than her. Her first uh, husband was 20 some years older than her. And that's where she actually gets the last name, Petty John. He was a civil servant and he would go out save his money and go out to Vegas every couple of months and then play the roulette wheel and, and throw money at the showgirls. And he, she was one of his favorites. And um, they, they had this special relationship so that um, when she um, turned 21, if I remember right, he bought her a car. I mean, you know, just bought her a car. I mean, how many times will you see that happen I, between people who are, you know, not exactly, they're not dating, they're not doing anything like that. They're strangers to each other, but he walked in and gave her the keys to a brand new car. And she had that car, it was a Volkswagen Beetle for many years, and she actually painted uh, her uh, Pisces uh, um, logo on the car. So, um, but uh, when this man asked to marry her, again, we're talking about 20, 20 some year age difference between the two, she said yes immediately. And he ended up being more like a father figure than a husband, although they were husband and wife. And she left the um, Las Vegas Strip, and uh, uh, her goal was really set on making it in Hollywood. And uh, he decided that uh, he would quit his job as a civil servant and act as her manager. And you know, this was this was really a, a good relationship here. She she truly did love this man, but not not as a husband, more as, um, you know, like a father figure, a mentor, and uh, she turned her career over uh, to him. Right. Around what year was in, what year was, sorry, go ahead, Darren. Uh, The question was, uh, around what year was this? This is um, 65, because, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, the opportunity to work on Star Trek came shortly thereafter. Plus, she also played on Get Smart and, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Batman and a number of things. So, you know, this this guy was actually pretty clever in getting into the studio offices. I mean, he actually brought a script home to her from, um, uh, not Paramount at the time, it was Desi Liu. Um, you know, those scripts get put under lock and key, Mark, as you probably know. And uh, he brought a script home that was for the gamesters of Triskelion. And... But didn't she? And I want to ask you this before yeah. you talk about her getting the script to gamesters. She 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 knew Majel, and and uh, tell tell me about that because he, Majel <laughs> didn't get her the role, but but she yeah. had had contact with Majel and Majel. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, you know, I I actually uh, love that little side story there. Uh, at the time when she meets uh, Majel Barrett. She and a number of other girls, Sharon Tate um, among them, were all of these young ingenues that were in Hollywood. And what had happened just like a year or two earlier, Marilyn Monroe had died, had killed herself, you know? And so that had left a vacuum in Hollywood. And all of these girls wanted to be the next Marilyn Monroe. And so as I write in my introduction, you know, the 
Marilyn Monroe was, um, you know, what all of these girls have come to Hollywood for, and they wanted to be the next Marilyn Monroe. I could easily have seen that happening for Angelique uh, because of how beautiful she was. But then, you know, she had her own rivals there. And there's a chapter that I talk about all of the different rivals, including Sharon Tate. So, you know, they all wanted to be that next it girl, if you will. Now, she took whatever roles that she could get. And uh, Gene Kelly, who was directing uh, the, A Guide to the Married Man, had a small part for uh, this woman uh, who's basically a walk-on. Uh, you see her on Wilshire Boulevard walking down the street. And Walter Matthau was talking with uh, um, his friend in the car. And, and his friend said, oh, see, you you'd be able to get a woman just like that. And then of course they point out the window and that's Angelique that's, uh, that's there. And so Angelique took these small roles just to build up her credibility. And um, <clears throat> one day she had lunch just so coincidentally with Majel who was, had a little bit better role in A Guide to the Married Man. And um, Majel said, you know, um, I'm seeing this guy and He's got this new uh, television series called Star Trek, and uh, um, we may be able, you know, we may be able to fit you into something on Star Trek. And I, I just, when I learned of that fact, and I actually didn't learn it from Angelique, I learned it from Majel, because <laughs> I asked Majel about Angelique. Um, uh, Majel said, yeah, there was this uh, beautiful woman, and, you know, um, I didn't have the Shauna part in mind, but they just knew that she would fit in the Star Trek in some part. And uh, so, you know, it just was cool that they had this sort of crossover. I can imagine Majel going to Gene Roddenberry and saying, hey, I met this amazing young woman. You should really, you know, talk to her about having something on Star Trek. But of course, um, her husband, who was working as the manager, got a copy of the script for um, for Angelique and gave it to her and uh, Angelique didn't like it at all if you can believe that and she says you know there's really no part here there's this just this woman she's got green hair she looks like an Amazon that's not a part for me maybe they got something else and so uh, her husband had gotten her an interview and so she went in for the interview and um uh, Gene Ronberry was in his office with uh, Gene Kuhn and John Meredith uh, Lucas talking about other stuff. And so Angelique had to sort of wait out in the waiting room and, and you know, wait her turn. But uh, she was given the script. She was given a, a rundown on what the character would be. And she just kept shaking her head. This isn't something she was going to be able to do. And so when it was finally her turn, she was ushered into Roddenberry's office. And Angie said, um, well, sorry, I always called her Angie. Angelique said, gentlemen, before I waste your time, I really don't fit the description of this character. Can you imagine now, Mark, that uh, Gene Roddenberry's written the character for you? And you walk into his office and say, oh, sorry, I don't want to play that character. Give me something else. Mark would play yeah. the Amazon character quite easily. Let's <laughs> be <Right>. fair. <laughs> And so anyway, um, you know, Jean looked at her from head to toe, and again, this gorgeous woman is standing there, and uh, he says, well, why not? And then 
I, I just love it because she explained this, you know, to me, what she said. She says, look, well, look, I've got the green eyes, so I can do that. I'm sure you can come up with a wig for me. Uh, but I'm hardly an Amazon. I'm only five foot six, maybe taller in heels. Now, <laughs> Gene Roddenberry started the laugh, and Gene Kuhn and uh, John Meredith Lucas uh, continued laughing, and Gene uh, Kuhn finally interrupted and says, Look, honey, next to Shatner, you look <laughs> like an Amazon. <laughs> because, you know, we always think that Shatner's this really big guy, but he's uh, not. You know, Shatner it's all camera thick. Say? Shatner was 5'10. So yeah. he wasn't <laughs> yeah. uh, he wasn't that uh, towering. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, you know, Angelique didn't know that he was shorter uh, than what you see on TV. Again, it's all camera tricks. And so um uh, yeah, she read through the um, part uh, for Gene Ronberry and, and the others, and um, Gene smiled and says, uh, you know, you're hired. I want you to go to wardrobe and work with Fred Phillips to get the rest of your wardrobe done, and, you know, the rest is sort of history. I, I never knew why. I would love to have asked uh, Phillips or um, uh, Gene Nelson, who directed the episode, why the silver bikini and go-go boots mm. well yeah, I, mean, that's a sh I mean she looks great in it don't get me wrong it's just not what i expected to see on star on a character on star trek yeah of, of course the the costume design on star trek was always uh very uh uh out of this world to, to coin a phrase <laughs> Um, yes, yeah. uh, and especially for that episode, I mean, you know, all of the uh, all of the thralls had their sort of individual costumes, and the the females had a, one style, and the males had another style, and uh, but they all went together, and it all and it all worked, and it was all uh, just this side of uh, believable, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, Bill Tice, the costume designer, was amazing with designing costumes that yes. looked like they could fall off at any time. <laughs> See, that's what I think your answer is. Because, yeah. Darren, I think that in most cases, you know, you talk to any of the female guest stars like Leslie Parrish and stuff, the, right. the outfits were always falling off of them. But in the case of Angelique Pettyjohn, uh, you know, uh, she had to do so much fighting. They needed right. something that was, I, I think, less ethereal, right. you know, because Otherwise, every take they would have to be resetting it because she'd be falling out of the, her, out, the outfit, back in, which I guess happened anyway. But um, uh, you have to find it on the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, you know, so I think that might have something to do. They needed something that was more functional, but also maintain the aesthetic of, of Star Trek. I, look, I, the materials aren't the greatest, but um, she. Um, but obviously, and then and then she created the, the the replica which she wore at the conventions, which is just amazing. Yeah, it, it is absolutely is. I mean, I I have the Barbie doll of uh, Angelique at home, and I've looked at that a million times, and I'm thinking, how on earth did that stain on her body? I will never know. <laughs> because honestly, uh, there's there's nothing in back; it's all up front. <laughs> yeah. So how did stay on the body? I don't know. What was her recollections of shooting the episode? Because obviously she was nervous. This was a fairly sizable role for her. Um, and uh, it, it was, you know, showing a second season. So on a big network, uh, you know, what was what was her whole experience, uh, you know, doing the show? Um, 
is it okay for me to quote from her? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, she. This you is have what to do you, her voice, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do that, but um, um, I, I'm fortunate enough that uh, I always had a uh, a tape recorder running um, uh, to catch her when she was talking about her career and all. But this is this is literally what she said, and she said. I really loved working on Star Trek. It was really delightful to work with such a group of talented actors, especially William Shatner. We have to call him up on the phone and tell him this. I found him to be friendly, gregarious, uh, kind of uh, mischievous with a twinkling eye, smile, <laughs> and a really marvelous person around the set, comfortable to be around. He made me feel very comfortable because at first, when I came in, I was very much in awe of working with him and all of them. He wasn't pretentious at all, but very friendly and welcoming to me. So I, 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 I think she just enjoyed uh, working with, you know, this really good group of people that were just so talented. And I, I, I love really good to hear, now, John. Yeah. And I'll tell you, because, yeah. you know, you you listen to uh, the guest stars and they're very polarized. There's the camp like Angelique that love Bill. And then there's the other camp that's very critical and had less nice things to say for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and I understand that. But um, but it, it's so great. And and but here's the funny thing. And I, I've told this story before, mm -hmm. but it always is something that I, 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 I just will never get over. And I think I know reading between the lines. But when we were making Free Enterprise, it was a day at the Iliad bookstore and uh, we're shooting with Bill and um he had walked off. It was rainy. It was miserable. It was between takes. And Rob Burnett, myself, and I forget who, I think it was Eric McCormick was there at the time. And somehow we were trying to explain something either to the costume person or someone else. And we said we wanted to be like, uh, 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 you know, Shauna, Angelique Pettyjohn oh. in uh, Game of the Triscalian. It was somehow we brought up Angelique. And all of a sudden Shatner, who we didn't realize was behind us, looks at us and goes, who's Angelique Pettyjohn? And he says it almost with a smirk and a lifted eyebrow it was almost uh, Spockian in the ways. And he <laughs> turned around and walked away and we could tell he very well knew who Angelique Pettyjohn was. <laughs> Clearly they had a very good time together and it was so great because, you know, Bill has not the greatest memory of everything that happened on that show, but he was clearly knew exactly. He remembered Angelique Pettyjohn. That was for sure. And uh, it was, it was, it was such a lovely, it was a lovely moment. It was a true just delight uh, when, you know, the name came up and Bill just had a very uh, uh, bemused reaction. Um, Mark, I love that story. And um, if I do a second edition, I'd like to, Put it in there, really. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You're more, more than welcome to it. I'm sure Rob uh, can, 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 can add to that story as well. But I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was pouring rain outside, lightning and thunder. It was the middle of El Nino, and we were getting falling behind, and we we're just talking. And the Angelique thing, Pajon came up, and for Chatner's reaction was absolutely priceless. And he just uh, turned his back and walked away with a smile. He responded it like was, a mischievous young boy. <laughs> well, well I, do, I do have to say that um, he was extremely helpful with Angelique, mm -hmm. wink, wink, um, because Angelique was having, uh, she had no trouble with the, the battle scenes and, you know, where she's fighting with all the different people in the arena. 
And but when it came to the clinches with um, William Shatner, mm -hmm. she couldn't do it. She kept freezing. But let out. me just stop you for a second yes. because I want to say I just to, to take everybody. She had worked with the choreographer, and of course, but she was a dancer. The mm -hmm. fight scenes were no problem. Yeah. So all the fighting in that episode and landing on the the colors and stuff. Mm -hmm. easy for her because again dance routines were no problem it was the love scenes that were difficult for her so now i'll i'll let you continue oh, no no that's absolutely <laughs> right and uh you know the director of that episode again gene nelson he had worked um in hollywood well he's working in hollywood there but i mean he had worked um on uh films that were dance films and he actually um played one of the characters in oklahoma the 55 version of Oklahoma and uh, did a lot of the dancing there himself. So, you know, he was a dancer. It, it worked out great that she had a dancer directing her on the Star Trek episode, but um, you're absolutely right. She just could not get the, uh, uh, the scenes where, you know, she had to um, kiss Bill and, you know, act that certain way that she does. And, uh, uh, you know, I, th I think it's a little more authentic that way, because what does her culture, the, the Triskelions, know about love? Nothing. And so, you know, if she's a little stiff. I, I'm okay with it. Uh, but, you know, everybody um, kept saying, we're going to have to refilm that scene. Let's reschedule it for, you know, the next, the next week and all. And uh, Bill finally invited her into his dressing room. And Again, you know, we can we can say all these nasty things we want about Bill. I actually like the guy, you know, met him love a couple him. Of times. Like the love guy, him. really. And uh he invited her in and he had um <laughs> sorry and brandy um in his uh in the prop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in, in right the prop. in the actual prop with <laughs> which I love. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's not really sorry. I am Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he, he uh, poured her a brandy. They read through the scene. Uh, he poured her another brandy. And so I think when she got up to brandy four, maybe, uh, she was starting to feel no pain at all. And she was very relaxed. And, you know, he said, you know, can, can we do, you know, do the scene here, you know, wasn't like he was jumping on top of her or anything like that. It was right, very, right, right. very respectful. Tender. And, yeah, yeah. And um, there was, you know, she nailed it. Uh, and then, of course, afterwards, when they did the scene, everybody was so impressed with uh, the action that they took there that, you know, cut rap, you know, that's, uh, that's it. And uh, so it turned out to be an excellent episode for her to have done. I didn't realize I was so hungry. Whatever you call us was very good. It is nourishment. We call it that. Nourishment. Well, that's very practical. What do you call this color? It is the sign of our provider. By the color of the lights, it can be known who holds us. When you are vended, you will also have a color. Vended? You mean bought, sold? When you are developed. The provider who offers the most quatloos puts his color on us. Oh. Our race has another name for it. Slavery. This color of obedience is Galt the only one who can operate it? It is only to warn and punish. How does he work it? It is not permitted to talk of that. Will you provide 
all my nourishment? Of course. I am your drill thrall. I will train you well. Yes, I'm sure you will. I must say, I've never seen a top sergeant who looked like you. What does that mean? It means you're a very beautiful woman. What is beautiful? You mean nobody's ever told you that before? Well, uh, beautiful is... Um, beautiful... I like it a lot. I know there are a lot of people that don't care for her, but I, you know, still, you know, having known her myself, I, I think she does a wonderful job there. Uh, yeah. She, she, um, uh, of course, at this time, this episode that they were filming, they got the word that Star Trek had been canceled for the second time, and so she stayed on for the cast party, and she really liked everybody in the cast. She and Michelle ended up getting together afterwards and becoming uh good friends and so uh when the the news came down that the show was being canceled she felt really bad she felt that these people you know she she's just a guest on the show she'll go on and, and guest in some other show but uh for them they're gonna be out of a job in a few weeks and so she felt really bad for them and uh um you know she felt like crying you know because of what was going to happen with these folks but you know gene ronberry uh the great bird uh he had uh um a plan up his sleeve to get yeah. over that cancellation and just just to clarify this was yes. they got the notice that they were canceled the first time this was yep. during the second season uh you, yep. you said that it was the second time uh but it was right. this was the first time and of course as i'm sure you're about to say Roddenberry sort of initiated the letter writing campaign through B. Joe Trimble and yeah. uh, a bunch of others to uh, inundate NBC with uh, uh, mm-hmm. letters, concerned that's letters right. from fans. That's right. That's right. They saved the show. <laughs> they saved the yes, show. Yes, I'm aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, they did the, you know, the same letter writing. Apparently, there was such animosity between Harlan and uh, Gene that. Harlan did not take part in the second letter writing right. campaign. Uh, he did, of course, in the first with the uh, uh, the Trimbles the science and, fiction and, writers, and yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, uh, well, you know, um, Gene introduced uh, Gene was introduced uh, by Majel, and Majel basically said, "This was the girl that I met on the um, um, I think it was the 20th Century lot uh, where they had." Uh, lunch together and and so um you know it didn't work out this way but gene always said that he slept with every woman that played on star trek now i think that's an apocryphal story i don't know that is a very apocryphal story (laughs) he tried I, that's it. I was going to say it's both repugnant and apocryphal. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I asked Angela. I said, you know, did anything work out there? And she says, oh no, too bad. And because I, I thought he was uh, quite extraordinary, but nothing worked out there. And I, I make the comment in my book that she doesn't know what she missed. Or she may have had a, an affair with a Gene that went on a little bit longer. Who knows? Maybe it would have written a character for her. Who knows? Or she would have been in uh, Pretty Maids all in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know I, it's interesting I, that you go ahead. John. No, please. 
I'm surprised that she wasn't really. It's funny because you mentioned, you know, uh, that you you're quite a fan of the episode. I, 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 you know, to me, it's the best of both, best of all, best of both worlds. It's there's great stuff in it, and there's awful stuff in it. Yeah. Of course, what's wonderful about it, you know, is it's great to see Nichelle having more to do, and also to be a fighter on par with the men. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's tokenism. You know, this is a, 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 um, a real example of you know Nichelle as a horror getting something significant to do. I also think the depiction of the alien race, the the providers, are fantastic. Yeah. You know, um, I think that, uh, you know, it's such an imaginative alien race, you know, in, in a show that's so characterized by bumpy headed forehead people <laughs> to have something so alien is really, really fantastic. And I love I, lo- I love that. So I, th- th- that, you know, there's also some good stuff for them trying to track them down uh, from the other side of uh, uh, the galaxy that all that stuff's really cool. And McCoy and, and Spock and Scotty all fighting about what happened to Kirk's. Spock and it's and a Kirk. fun adventure. Yeah. And it's a fun adventure. On the other hand, Look, you have some, and I really like Joseph Ruskin. Is the as oh the, my goodness, as sure. Paul. I yeah. thought he he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but but on the other hand, then you have that whole Chekhov nonsense, uh, which is even I think Koenig hated, and he always right. loved when he got more to do. But even he hates this episode. And then um, <laughs> I think you know some of the costumes on these other aliens, some of the depictions of the other alien, particularly the one who comes on the Chekhov. I mean, I know in New York they always cut that. They cut Amun that scene. Is her name. Yeah, yeah. They, uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, they always cut that scene on PIX right. mercifully. Uh, and it was only later when I saw the unedited episode that I realized how truly awful it was. Um, but I, I think she's wonderful. And and it ends with that really lovely uh, scene yeah. where she looks up at the stars and says, I shall always remember you, James Kirk, after yeah. he's tutored her on the fact that up among the stars or these other civilizations, you can be what you want to be. It's like very much like my home planet earth planet where i was born shala don't you ever look at the night sky the lights up there i have looked at them well those are stars and around them are planets and there are people that live on just like us how can one live on a flicker of light? From Earth, Triskelion's three suns are just a flicker of light. Actually, this is the darkest planet I've ever seen. Dark? But all is lighted. Here, the chambers. The thralls have no freedom, Shana. You don't think or do anything but what the providers tell you. What else would one do? Love. The one thing. What is love? Love is the most important thing on earth, especially to a man and a woman. We do have mates. When it is time to increase the herd, my provider will select one for me. On earth, we select our own mate. Someone we care for. On Earth, men and women live together, help each other, make each other happy. 
I do not think your words are allowed. It's, it's and how he frees, he basically, you know, frees all the thralls. And it's a great non-interference directive, Captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they're not evolving. Uh, I mean, Darren, what about you? Where do you fall on the on the Triskelion scale? I, I love Game Series of Triskelion. I, I love the uh, providers. Uh, uh, I, I love the fact that uh, um, uh, Kirk and Shauna were both vended to, I believe, Provider 2. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> oh, I don't, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so much fun. And as you say, uh, Joseph Ruskin is creepy as hell and mm-hmm. uh, a, a great character. And I think the whole science fiction setup is so good. And it's mm-hmm. so uh, evocative of, you know, big sprawling uh, you know, gladiator uh, movies and things like that. It's, it's, it's fun. Right. And, uh, and you can see that Shatner is having a hell of a good time during mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely, sure. absolutely. I mean, he gets absolutely. to seduce the girl. He gets to fight. Yeah, and he gets to bargain with the providers. He gets a great speech, right? You know, uh, where he gets he to run around them. with his shirt on, right? Yeah. It was, so uh, it was all. It's a win for him. And and, <laughs> and Leonard barely's in the episode, right? What's not to love for him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's see him. Let's see them write uh, fan letters to this one. so okay so good experience for her uh all around which is great and um you know uh do you do you know what she thought of the finished episode did she have any when she looked back at it watched it you know she she actually liked uh that's one of her favorite uh things that she did but then strangely enough the the other favorite that she had is um uh playing the the odd weird mother and Otto preminger's uh movie that he made with uh, Liza Minnelli's daughter. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And the name slips me now, but I've got the book right here. If we had time, I'd look it up. But, you know, she really liked that because she had a chance to play so against type. She plays a, a weird mother in that, that uh, Preminger came up with. So, yeah. But you know what I love? I, 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 this is in the book, which is a great story, which I did not know. Um, I didn't know that Alex Cox who is a very famous, yeah. like, total anarchist, so um, communist. He directed, like, Straight Out of Hell, and he directed <laughs> a Walker, you know, about the Sandinistas and the, the you know, and, and, and you know, he, he, he um, totally, totally super, like, left-wing filmmaker. Um, and uh, he did a wonderful movie that I think we all love called Repo Man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Repo Man is great. But the, I had no idea, first of all, that Angelique Petty John was in it, but more so that he had met her at a convention right. and promised her if he would ever make this movie, he would wow. cast her. That was unbelievable. You know, Mark, uh, I, I, I saw this happening. I didn't see it happen with Cox, but I kept seeing these directors, these writers, uh, they would come up to her and they'd say, you know, when I was 10 years old, I saw the gamesters of Triskelion, you know? And they mm-hmm. said, oh, you were just marvelous. I loved you in that uh, episode. And I really want to um, uh, have you in my movie. That happened time and time again. And so here's Angelique. She's in her 40s now. Uh, we're talking about the 1980s, okay? And she's got more roles than any of the actresses in Hollywood who have turned 40. They're mostly, right. they're mostly leaving Hollywood because they can't get anything to do. Whereas Angelique has all of these movies lined up. Now, admitted, these, these are not Oscar-winning movies or not even going to be 
close to but she's working and a lot of these other actresses are not it wasn't just uh it was repo man of course uh um and just a whole host of others um and you know i, I just I can't just, get over it because i love sid and nancy i think sid and nancy is a great movie so i was like the director of sid and nancy and repo man is like a huge fan of angeline petty john and and i have to tell you i mean having done it myself where i've cast people that i grew up on and, and mm-hmm. love like shatner and aaron gray and stuff like that it, it, it's so great to be able to give back to them you know mm-hmm. i mean not that it's you're paying them that much money or or it's the role of a lifetime necessarily but it's just it's it's so great the joy that they gave you that you can you know give them back something and I just I that's so why I really connected with that Alex Cox story um, mm-hmm. just, I just because it seemed everything I knew about Alex Cox I could not imagine he was a Star Trek fan <laughs> you know I just like it, it it doesn't fit I mean you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm liberal, but I mean, he's complete leftist. I mean, it was like, so it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, it was just a wild story. Um, anyway, so. Well, you know that uh, Angelique uh, did a lot of costume work on her own beyond, you know, just reproducing mm-hmm. the costume that she did there. In The Wizard of Speed and Time, uh, she and actually. Mike Jitlov, yeah. Mike Jitlov. Yeah. So she actually gets the credit there for doing costume design. Yeah. <laughs> so you know these these guys they genuinely loved her and they were giving her another chance and you know that was wonderful what you did and just imagine these other you know directors and producers and whatever doing that for her and just giving her a chance to you know do something different uh yeah. and really getting back into hollywood and then eventually she finds herself back in vegas later in in her life and we talked about you know just sort of the sad decline as well as cancer is such a yeah that um, a, a that was vicious but, unforgiving know, she, she had had um i i spoke earlier about her four husbands one of the uh one of the husbands actually stole all of her money oh. and um um she was dealing with at the time uh a really bad drug habit and uh she ended up having to do some films that were not exactly mainstream films in order to pay uh, for her drug habit. And, uh, you know, she actually collapsed. uh, She was doing a dance number in in Vegas uh, and she actually collapsed on stage and they took her to the hospital. And the doctor uh, said to her, you've got a hole in your esophagus um, and your blood levels are such, don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but he said, if you don't, stop this and change you're not going to live to be uh, you're not going to live till tomorrow and really put a, a scare right under her and it was just after that incident at the hospital that uh i ran into her at the star trek convention and you know our 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 uh our fondness for each other began but um you know if she hadn't been sort of scared straight who knows what would have happened uh uh with her and uh you know, so collapsing in Vegas, that was that was a good thing that happened to her. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's safe to say we will always remember Angelique Pettyjohn. She made an incredible uh, uh, impact on anyone who's a Star Trek fan. Um, and I think it's just wonderful that you chronicled her, you know, her life because, uh, you know, she's such an unsung part of the mythology. And, and uh, 
you know, such an interesting woman with a, you know, like anyone ups and downs throughout her whole life. And, and uh, I'm sure she'd be very uh, honored and proud of the book. It's wonderful that you were able to, there it is. And here it is. You know, uh, Mark and, and, and Darren, in order to write this book, I had to talk with hundreds of people. And uh, sometimes it was celebrities. Like I talked with Majel at one convention, uh, you know, to get the information that I did. And I always kept saying to myself, if I cannot get a second person to uh, corroborate the story, I'm not going to put it in the book. Right. And um, the very last person I spoke with was a, a woman named Pat Gill. Now, Pat Gill was one of the acorns in Diamonds Are Forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so um, Angelique yeah. tried to. I can uh, hear the music playing now. <laughs> right. Wait, wait, wait. Shady, Shady Tree and his acorns. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Shady That's... Tree. Yeah. But um, <laughs> they, they were friends and uh, they were competing for the role in Diamonds Are Forever. Pat. Pat Gill got it, and uh, you know, and it, it wasn't to be that she she wanted to be a Bond girl, and it just didn't happen. But she did so many other things. I, I it's uh, you know, it's it's um, it was a genuine pleasure to do this book. And I'll tell you, I'm not making any money on it. Uh, it was so uh, pro- prohibitively expensive for me to make all of those flights out to California, and then talking with people. So, you know, if I do make any money, it's going to just pay, pay for some of my uh, bills there. But um, where can people buy it? I know you can get it on Amazon. Is there a preferred vendor that you would uh, want to recommend? Or No, I love it being on uh, Amazon. There is an audio book version of it also on Amazon. And, um, you know, I, I who reads would... it. What's that? Who reads it? Oh, who reads that? I was going to say, I hope everybody reads that. But um <laughs> Um, who narrates it? Who narrates it? Bob, uh, Bob Brown's son, Kevin Brown. Oh, okay. Do you know uh, Bob Brown? He used to be on 2020 as a reporter on 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. When I was auditioning his son, I kept saying, God, I know that voice from someplace. And he said, well, my father used to do and I And he sounds just like his father. So it, it's an excellent book. Uh, there is a uh, forward in the book from um, Elvis Aaron. Presley Jr., that's Angelique's son, and uh, he is such a, a, a great guy. He, he called me just uh, about a week ago. He's now had his second double platinum album uh, oh, produced, and so, um, you know, I, I, he's never been to a Star Trek convention before, and I said, um, I've got an, uh, an hour at the Vegas show to do a, a retrospective on Angelique's life, and I said, I really wish you could come because I'll introduce you to the to the people out there. And uh, if you're going to be there, uh, Darren or, or or Mark, I'd love to introduce you to him. Well, Darren He's, will absolutely. I'm be planning there. on it, and okay. I may or may hopefully not be Mark there, will. but I if Darren can convince me, if perhaps <laughs> I will. But uh, I, I, I know I know we're going to wrap things up very soon. But I I want to mention something that. Uh, uh, I have a very close personal uh, connection with in 19, I believe, 84 uh, at a uh, convention at probably at the at a creation convention. I saw a uh, a uh, uh, relatively uh, uh, obscure uh, fanzine uh, piece of uh, of uh, prose 
that uh, jumped out at me, and it was called Fall of the Republic, and and it was it was it was touted as being a um, a a version of what would happen in the next Star Wars films, uh, or or the prequels to the Star Wars films, <laughs> and it was written by a Mr. John L. Flynn, and I remembered that name for many many years, and it's it it had a you know had a, had a nice dark red cover, and and Fall of the Republic was in the uh, in the uh, Return of the Jedi text, and I read it, and it was so much fun and so much um, uh, stuff apparently garnered from Lucas's original sort of uh, work that it felt so right and it felt exactly the way that it should have been. And this is why we hate the prequels. <laughs> because it was so well-written and, so, and felt so much a part of the Star Wars trilogy at that time that it was uh, just so, such a wonderful experience. And I wanted to thank you for that because uh, I really enjoyed it then and I still do. Uh, Darren, thank you. I, I really do appreciate. Uh, Mark uh, works with a gentleman named Ed Gross. Uh, sure. Really, really nice guy. I've known Ed for a long time, but Mark probably knows him a lot better. Um, Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are collaborators together. I'm so, you know, uh, so what a good guy. But we he was over at the house uh, one day and I said, you know, um, I'm coming up a little bit short this year on on money to buy Christmas gifts. And um, he said, why don't you, why don't you give them a story or something? And, and I thought, you know, my friends are not going to sit still for just getting a story for Christmas. And so Ed is the one who really came up with the idea. So he says, well, you know, write it up, make it look like it's, um, you know, the next episode in the Star Wars um, saga. And he said, "Give that to your to give that to your friends. Put a nice cover on it." And you know, he he that was a brilliant idea because I was really was short brilliant. that year. Yeah, and uh, sadly, uh, Ed can be very persuasive when he wants to be. Oh my goodness. I can you attest that to that. For, you know that for sure. I you mean, know how many freaking books I've had to write because of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it it ended up working. But what I didn't like was one of my. Uh, friends, actually, quote unquote, friend, um, uh, gave it to a dealer, and between the two of them, they reproduced thousands of copies of that yep. as as the genuine article. And uh, um, Lucasfilm actually actually got a hold of me. Uh, I guess it was just a few years ago. They were they were doing some type of retrospective on the films, I and i I had written um, not not for you, Mark, but for someone else. Uh, a history of what the Star Wars movies were supposed to be about. And it was basically taking Lucas's um, basic storylines and expanding on it. Right. And of course, that's, you know, where I got a lot of the information for, you know, my, my treatment. And uh, it was published in one of the sci-fi magazines, but not sci-fi universe. And, uh, um, you know, I was happy to do that. And then Lucas had read that and they said, you know, we, we had heard about a fan writing one of the the treatments and i said yeah that's me and so i got interviewed for something that they did i don't remember what it was but um that that all comes from ed gross and uh, pretty small I, I, haven't, I haven't seen i haven't seen him lately but he's a great guy i really like him see it, it seems like certain eddies and currents keep bringing us all together it's, it's amazing <laughs> uh well john this has really been a delight and 
again, I'm so glad you wrote this book. I really enjoyed reading it. For people at home who, who want to know more about Angelique, they should check it out. Go on Amazon or you can visit John's website at johnalflynn.com. He's yes, written a lot of other wonderful books as well about uh, subjects uh, close, uh, near and dear to our heart, like Alien, The Phantom of the Opera, a bunch of great stuff. So James check Bond. those out. And, <laughs> and, her, and James Bond. <laughs> may her memory continue to bring joy. Amen. Amen. She was such a wonderful lady. It's, it's just too bad I wasn't able to get all of that into the book. Uh, got as much as I could. And, you know, if you see her son around, he does the, you know, the fair circuit, you know, he go out and sings at the fairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, please say something to him. He's a really great guy. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I wish someday that the family will wholly recognize him. But I will tell you, if, if you read the book, you'll see the the uh, sequence where I was in court and he received his name from uh, a federal judge. So, you know, he's he's legitimately the heir to the uh, Elvis Presley name, I guess. He's like Jon Snow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, Snow. that's right. Good, good, I love he, that. He's secretly the king of Graceland. Um <laughs> So, uh, look, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, look, if we do, if I go to uh, uh, the convention this August, um, we'll have to tell him if he makes it, uh, you know, how much we appreciate uh, his mother's performance and what joy she gave us. And I will tell you back in 1982, seeing her there at that convention, pretty amazing. I yeah. that was yeah. I used to, you know, I mean, first going to conventions as a kid and, uh, you know, to that was pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. So. Do you remember how old you were at the time, Mark? Yeah, I was yes, probably I was probably my first year of high school. Okay. So, uh, so I was fourteen yeah, I was or fifteen. Probably, 15? Yeah, I was probably maybe a little younger than that, but maybe not. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll see. Thirteen. Sorry. Star Trek: Motion Picture came out in seventy nine, so I was my bar mitzvah. So I was thirteen. <laughs> so I would have been yeah, I was like fourteen or fifteen, I guess. What a I good age! I said that. What, what yeah okay you're age, right what a good age to experience uh angelique seriously yeah you're not kidding <laughs> darren did you ever get a chance to meet her at all i i almost got a chance to meet her because i had friends who were friends with mike chitlov in the late oh, 80s okay. ah. so mm-hmm. we had heard that she was that she was around bouncing around there and uh we were supposed to meet her and then it never happened so mm-hmm. it was just like one of those things yeah exactly exactly wow well, well, I thank you guys. I really yeah, thank you, so John. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in, in Vegas, but uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's a real pleasure for me, Mark, to work with you again. Ah, thank you, John. Take care. You take care also. Thanks again. Okay. Well, the, who would think that we could have done only on the Trexperts? Could we do a whole hour? We, we spent more and time. More. <laughs> we spent more time talking about this episode than the episode, than the actual episode, yeah. the actual episode, which is what forty-seven minutes, fifty-two minutes. Yeah. We spent more than that talking about this episode. Which we I'm... are your providers of entertainment and Star Trek knowledge, and we don't charge you any quatloos. It's all free. You won't have to be vended to us or anything, <laughs> or Venmoed. Um, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I mentioned that story. Um, I always remember that story of Shatner. Who's Angelique Petty, John? And I, I, Rob might remember the, uh, the, the intro, like what, what we were talking about that right. prompted Shatner to um, say that. But uh, 
It was it was it was a special moment. It was a special moment. Nothing on film, just one of those behind that that's up there. I mean, obviously, you know, for you doing your uh Shatner impersonation, uh, you know, when he was performing No Tears for Caesar. And then of course, you know, when I got to tell him the generation, the Al Pacino generation story, you know, which uh uh, you know, which we, we had just been told, which is such an amazing story. And uh, and everybody's saying, you know, we're sitting around uh, between takes. It's I'll tell Shatner the Pacino story. And uh, I got to tell uh, Bill how much Pacino worshipped him and the, the great story about him talking about how much more he liked Shatner than Patrick Stewart. It's a wonderful story. Um, but uh, but yeah, this was a really wonderful episode. It was it was really nice. Uh, you know, it's very sweet because John, John, I think there was no guile in befriending uh, her. He just wanted to help. He, he wanted genuine. to give back. He wasn't looking to like, you know, tr- try and I mean, this is the age where like you could say, oh, can I help you bring this stuff back to your hotel room? Right. You know, obviously, that has a very different meaning. Like the fact that she was willing to say yes and that he certainly didn't have another agenda. He yeah. genuinely wanted to be helpful to her because she's someone who had given him joy, you know, in, and, exactly. and uh, I'm really, uh, you know, it's good. That's good because we hear a lot of the flip side of that, especially these days that, you know, these, you know, you know, sort of just how, 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 how many, you know, disgusting yeah disgusting people and sleazy people and sleazy people and and so it's nice to see the flip side of that yeah um you know and 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 also i i do you know i see sometimes on the social media people criticizing actors you know for 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 not being their friend you know or not being you know uh, uh friendly enough to them or whatever and it's just like you're not entitled to their friendship you're not entitled to their you know, just because you're willing to pay for their autograph, I don't know what you want to, you know what you're entitled to? Their signature on a piece of paper is what you're entitled to. Anything beyond that is not within the purview of what they owe you. Um, if they give you more than that, that's great. That, But that's their decision. Yeah. Um, you know, they have their own family. So anyway, but uh, this, was, this was really great. It was great having John on the show. Again, something that I think is unique to what we do here on the Trexperts. And uh, it might be an episode that we have to revisit in the Trexperts briefing room where we curate fantasy uh-huh. theme weeks, a uh, fantasy. Uh, uh, no, that's 430 movie. Yeah, it's it's where we movie. curate uh, uh, audio commentaries of significant Star Trek episodes. In the last couple of weeks, we had some real wonderful episodes on the Trexperts briefing room feed. Most recently, we had on uh, Bread and Circuses with Dave Rossi. We have uh, In a Merry Darkly coming up with Mike Sussman, uh, uh, Brand Bragg and Cause and Effect. It was actually um, a Requiem for Methuselah with Dave Rossi. We what had did I Bread, say? Bread and Circuses. Oh, no, Bread and Circuses with you, with Darren yeah. Um, uh, But uh, just some <laughs> wonderful episodes that we've recorded recently, some that have dropped on the Trexperts briefing room feed, other ones that are coming up. So if you're a fan of this podcast and Glorious Trexperts, you really owe it to yourself to check out the Trexperts briefing room feed. You can watch it. It's intended to be watched with the episodes, but you don't need to. I actually listen to them in the car and find them quite entertaining. It has so... been selected for us. <laughs> we And we're providing it to you. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's pretty great. And the 430 movie is back, Darren, isn't it? That's right, it is. So uh, if you enjoy hearing Fantasy Theme Weeks, um, 
from uh, Darren, myself, Steve Melching, and Ashley Miller. You want to check out the 430 movie. Of course, every other week, you want to check out the best movies ever made with Steve Scarlatta and uh, Josh Miller. It's a terrific podcast. I really enjoy in the Cartoon Barroom, uh, which is an animation and cartoon podcast from the brilliant minds of Ashley Miller and Steve Melching, Stephen Melching. I, yeah. I once called him Steve Melching instead of Stephen Melching. He got upset with me. So. He looks askance I, when you call him Steve. I, I will call him Stephen. I shall call you Stephen. And uh, what, anyway. what else do we? That's really about <laughs> it, isn't it? So, I, I, you know, I got to tell you, and we'll do this another time. I have a few things to say about some of the recent um, posts on Apple Podcasts, mm. some of the reviews on Apple Pie. I have some very strong opinions to share, but I'm going to save that for an upcoming episode. So I just want to say, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars. Leave your comments on Apple Podcasts. They may be read on a future show. And if you haven't uh, enjoyed it and left a, a not so positive review. Your day is coming. Your day is coming. The, the <laughs> retribution <laughs> is ahead. Well put. <laughs> and, uh, and also, I want to um, say you can follow us on social media at Inglorious Trek on um, Twitter and Glorious Trexperts on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, yeah, those are the social media sites that we're on. And the MySpace page is going great guns. I, I'm getting right. ready to do a Friendster page any day now. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, um, I want to thank uh, Bill Ritter, our fantastic sound engineer, Mark Rivera, associate sound engineer, who's been kicking in and helping out and doing an amazing job. And of course, our producer, Natalie Miscali, and our associate producers, Zach Raggetts and Peter Holmstrom. And uh, you, our audience, who keeps coming back for more abuse from the Trexperts. And don't um, forget our CompuServe address, 60342, <laughs> I'll get on no, my I don't, I don't know if that's our address. I don't think it is. We don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking to you out of time. And it's been great. People have been suggesting ideas for upcoming shows. We'll certainly consider them. We shall consider it. We'll um, consider them when this becomes a democracy. No, wait. No, no, we, we actually need ideas. <laughs> yes, it, well, it's clearly, we, it's not. We like but, hearing suggestions. <laughs> we like hearing suggestions. And if we deem them worthy, <laughs> we will. <laughs> yes. Somebody said, somebody said on, no, I can't, I can't go there. I was no, going to say. don't go there no, yet. Okay, I'm not going to go. Save that for a future show. All right. And, and yes, Ashley and Rob will be back at some point. Uh, because, you know, the more you tell us you don't want Rob on the show, the more likely it will be that Rob will be on the show. So um, I don't take well versa. to, yeah, <laughs> I don't take well to people telling us what to do. So um, anyway, this has been great. So happy to be able to pay tribute to uh, the untold story of Angelique Pettyjohn. Our thanks to John Flynn. And until next week, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.